Welcome back to the Leadership Locker. This is another throwback, and I really underestimated how amazing this podcast was when I conducted it. It started with an introduction to a woman named Rita King when I was at an event thrown by a friend of mine, Jill Katz, in New York. Well, Jill was interviewing her for a podcast, so I went to Luminary, this beautiful space in New York, and Jill asked if I can record it with video and audio, did so, and because I was just starting out, I completely boned it up, and it was just a mess. But during the course of that podcast that I was watching and observing, Rita just totally struck me just by the way she thinks, the way she talks. I mean, there were so many different layers to her. I was, I was extremely intrigued. Well, the next time I was in New York, I was going to another event. And this one uh, was to support my dear friend and mentor, Claude Silver. Well, guess who was speaking at this panel that Claude was speaking at? Rita. So she was talking about just humanity, creativity, and science, innovation in the workplace. And then she talked about the books. I was like, oh, and she's got a book? Okay, so like... Here we go. So I got in touch with her afterwards, and I was like, hey, I've seen you twice now. You've seen me. Do you think I could have you on my podcast? I'm thinking about starting a podcast. And she said, absolutely. So she invited me to her home, and I got to meet with her and James Jorash, her husband and business partner at Science House. Okay? It's called Science House. It's not a normal home or apartment or anything like that in New York City. It is what they like to call a seven-floor cathedral in Midtown Manhattan, a cathedral of innovation. So this place is, I don't even know how to explain it. I felt like I was in a museum, but a very cool museum. So I'm walking all the levels of this. I'm, I'm getting a tour and it is just the most creative, intriguing, interesting space. And I'm just kind of like, how did I end up here? This is ridiculous. So here we are. I am just looking at these two people and looking at everything on the walls and the rooms in which they conduct some of their seminars for their very high profile clients. And I'm just like mesmerized. I have not been around people like this before, and I could not wait to sit down and be like, let's do this. During the course of the podcast, you'll see that they are a fantastic pair and that what they have individually, when it merges, is likely why people continue to seek them out for their advice in culture and innovation in the workplace. You will hear them talk about meetings you will hear them and the science behind meetings and why they're not as effective as we all think they are you'll hear them talk about what it's like dealing with the hierarchy of executives and in the workplace you'll hear them talking about getting into a flow state you'll hear them talk about how they don't have a tv in the place you will hear them talk about how they deny brunch requests and on the weekends they have creative weekend where they dive into whatever is interesting to them, no matter how geeky, no matter how nerdy, no matter how complicated, 
these individuals find a way to make sure that their brain is firing on all cylinders and they do it by intentionally making it fun and that is why the science house is one of a kind i still have yet to see anything like that or talk to two people like james and rita i really hope you enjoy this podcast I think in one way or another, you are going to be smarter by the end of it. I could almost guarantee that. Please don't forget that this podcast is brought to you by Rich Cardona Media, where we believe your value can only be realized if you're visible. We create, edit, film, distribute content specifically for LinkedIn because that's where your audience probably is and the organic reach is massive. We take all the work off your plate. And look, let me tell you, the year before last, I had about 200,000 views. This year, I had a million views. And it's because I'm constantly testing that space and learning about this space. And that's where business for Rich Cardona Media comes from. Your personal brand, your value proposition, your expertise, that's all where it belongs for everyone to see, and that's what we help with. So please don't hesitate to reach out at rich at richcardonamedia.com. So please enjoy the podcast and definitely check them out at sciencehouse.com. It's Rita King and James Jorash. I think you get in touch with Rita at rita at sciencehouse.com. Enjoy the episode. Uh, how typical is it for some of your clients to be unable to identify some of the obvious problems that are detrimental to their business? Very common. A lot of the problems are systemic and at Science House we like to say that I make uh, complicated things fun and James makes fun things complicated and so meetings was one of those things that we decided to tackle because we saw so many problems with meetings. And I think that they're able to, and big companies can see the problems. I think the challenge is, okay, how do we, how do we make change, and how do we improve that? And that's where there's there's more stumbling, and that's partly because meetings are driven by culture, and culture is not something that you can turn overnight in a in a company. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it's it's a longer process, um, but a valuable one. I mean, companies that can figure out how to make the meetings better become much more effective uh, competitors in the market. And a lot of what you see about meetings tends to be pretty straightforward. Have shorter meetings, fewer people in the meetings, and that's obviously part of our model meetings framework. But you know, I'm a futurist, James is an inventor, and so we're driven by the business value and the human element of what brings people together yes. to commit to their shared goals. Was there any kind of pretentious responses uh, to that because you uncovered something that was just a normal part of their daily routine? I wouldn't say it's pretentious. I'd say they they all understand that there's an issue, and they all understand that that the meetings aren't typically going really well. I mean, there's pockets where it's mm-hmm. it's going well, but I think they understand that problem, and mm-hmm. so I think they're they've been fairly welcoming and saying, "You're right. We've a lot of the problems that that science has to identify with meetings. We have all of those. It's very common. We see it every day at the company. Um, they just seem a little bit overwhelmed. They're like." Oh, you know, it was like 19 problems. How are we going to fix all of these? Mm-hmm. And that's that's more the reaction that we get. I would argue, though, that leaders definitely overestimate their own abilities, too. So meeting leaders will tend to think they're doing an amazing job, mm-hmm. um, but the people in the meeting will think, well, maybe not an amazing job, right? So there is a gap um, in understanding between 
the meeting leader and the people who participate. Yeah, almost everyone thinks that they're in the top 25% of driving skills, right? Yes. A, there's a little bit of that with meetings as well. If yes. you're running meetings, you think you are in one of those. What are indicators for you both that you see um, when there may be just a cultural mismatch and, then, and if you're able to dissect how it actually began? Well, one of the reasons that those problems begin is that a lot of companies, especially large companies, have um, very clear hierarchies. Mm -hmm. And they've built up, and if you're at that you know, SVP level, you have the corner office, and that comes with it a certain sense of gravitas and the, and the power, and, and that's very strong. And so when you get into a meeting and you've got the senior vice president with people who just joined the company you know, six months ago, whose ideas are going to get you know, paid attention to, and clearly it's generally the SVP, and that's partly driven by that structure. It just seems sort of wrong for the new person to have a better idea than the person who's been there for 20 years and who has all Is that power. Wrong? I mean, sometimes it's wrong, sometimes it's right. I mean, that's, that's the reality. You have to be flexible and fluid about that, and you have to at some point say, we have a bureaucracy and a hierarchy and a structure, and that, that provides value to a company, but we also need to stop and say, sometimes we need to break that down. And so how do, you, how do you have a meeting where you've got multiple levels where people feel comfortable sharing ideas and there is a more kind of you know, level playing field, if you yeah. will. And you can temporarily sort of turn off that hierarchy and start to work that way. It can, uh, it can be much better. A lot of our clients are going through agile transformations and they want to do agile instead of being agile. So I think what James is describing too is time and a place for everything. If you had no hierarchy, it would be anarchy. There'd be no, right, you can't. So this, this myth that we're going from command and control hierarchical structures to these perfectly flat organizations, there's a huge amount of gray area in between. Mm -hmm. And so our focus is on making sure that you have the right behaviors aligned to the purpose at every point. And those behaviors change depending on what your purpose is. So sometimes you need a senior person who has the authority to say, here's what we're doing, because there simply isn't time yes. to think right about options. But not everything is an emergency. And so many companies are in firefighting mode yes. that they manufacture these constant emergencies yes. because they're reacting to symptoms instead of responding to the root cause of a problem. Yeah. And we are, our challenge at Science House is how do you help companies r respond responsibly to the root cause of a problem without heaping and bombarding them with so many yes. things that they need to think about. So we strive to make it as simple as humanly possible without stripping it of the complexity. We live in an inter, you know, interdependent, complex, fast-changing environment. Mm -hmm. Senior leaders have to deal with that. Please tell me a little bit about your background and then we'll get into yours. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Silicon Valley in Palo Alto, mm -hmm. um, so spent my formative years there. Uh, ultimately, I mean, I did a lot of um, playing games, chess, backgammon, poker. I was just very interested in the, the theory and computation behind using you know, computer chess back on, a, <laughs> on an Apple II computer. Um, and had a you know, father was an entrepreneur, engineer, mother taught math. And was just the family was very much about um, you know, challenges and problems and problem solving and, and business. And in that environment, I just got caught up in it and was fascinated by how the world works. And, and especially computing and artificial intelligence and, and, and business systems. And I carried that through and ultimately got into 
uh, inventing work and was spending upwards of four to five hours every day in brainstorming sessions and managing brainstorming sessions for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And as, you know, in that process, I dug in and said, well, what, what exactly is going on in the process of innovation? Mm -hmm. And it's a process. It's not a magical thing where you get together and lightning strikes. It's manufacturing ideas. And how do you optimize that process? Mm -hmm. And that was a, just a fascinating run and learned so much. Um, and that's part of what we bring to Science House is that look at everything as being something that can be improved. What is going right, wrong? What are the, what are the emotional drivers that, that consumers are experiencing? What, are they, what is the good and the bad? How do we start amping up the good and decreasing the bad? And how do we make these changes? And that's, it's a very complicated, very difficult, difficult I mean, thing, but, mm -hmm. but that's really at the heart of Science House is let's, let's take that time, take a breath, sit for maybe a full day in the imagination room, let's map it all out. Yep and get the lay of the land, break that problem down into a thousand pieces, and then start to reassemble it in a new way. Yeah. And, and that process, you can do that for almost anything. And I, I'd like to say, you know, inventing and innovation really is, truly is 99% perspiration. For you, like, what was the bridge to the human side? And, and I, I, how do I put this? A lot of people who are very technically savvy sometimes lack the people skills or the human element. How did you bridge that, or have you just kind of been blessed with both of them? I'm not sure I would say that. I'm, I'm looking at Rita right now. I'm not sure that I would say I have, I have fully bridged that. Uh, I think my bridge is at least that I have the capability to think about a person, how a person would react to some new product. And I do that by whenever I, you know, we try something new. So um, we have the Magic Leap technology here. We tried it out. Well, what was that experience like? I mean, I, I did it myself. Is it uncomfortable? Is it, you know, does it cause nausea? And it doesn't. It's really, it's really very cool. Um, but what is that process like? And just feeling, am I frustrated? Am I happy? You know, would I tell my friends about it? And, and just noticing those and sort of cataloging them and then going back to them later on. So, uh, you know, is that, am I fully capturing? But I say, you know, with Rita, that's part of, you know, a big part of science. That's a big part of her connection is that, ability and the empathy and really understanding what people are feeling and those those emotional drivers that sometimes don't bubble up to the surface that are just hidden in the background even the things that drive meetings there's some very subtle subtle emotional drivers that have an enormous impact on meetings like why do meetings get so big why so many people mm -hmm. well this is one person they don't really need to be there but you don't want to kick them out because then they feel like they're excluded and and sometimes people won't say anything about that, but inside it's eating away at them, and that has a, that's a huge driver. So that's a case of I've from a science house perspective. I mean, from my own perspective, I've always been uh, what I, I would say like an unattached observer. Is what David Eagleman. I don't know. He's a scientist who studies time and memory. He said one of the reasons he thinks my memory is good is because I'm an unattached observer. I write everything down. I would translate that this way. Um, from the time I was little, I could be in a room of people and it's almost as if their most secret motivations are on bold. I can just read a room. And I think whereas most people, we're all hardwired for a sense of belonging. 
So we do a lot of absurd things all the time to fit in. Mm -hmm. I have a real knack for recognizing how absurd the things we do are, but simultaneously mm -hmm. understanding what motivates us to do them. Yeah, well, uh, but, I... but she's been an investigator journalist, and that a lot of work that goes into those interviews. And so it's amazing just sitting through, we do a lot of, um, of interview, interviews with companies before we work with them. And it's amazing to see what people will say and how open they if you were not seeing what you wanted what are what is the likelihood that you would have to adjust your behaviors in order to provide a good value proposition to consumers so i do you know what i'm saying like what would you do or how do you oh that's a great question i mean we do that constantly and in fact uh, science house you know when we first started so we're here now you're interviewing us at science house mm -hmm. it's a seven story we call it a cathedral of the imagination in manhattan mm -hmm. so when we first opened science house we frequently held events here uh with clients that would come right and and they were innovation sessions salt problem solving sessions mm -hmm. uh, facilitation of uh, all sorts of things well what we realized at that point was Oh, we're going to bring 12 people to the Imagination Room at Science House. Great. Oh, we're going to bring 16 people, and three of them have admins that need to sit there with laptops. Oh, okay. Well, you're rapidly reaching the limits of the room yes. constraints. Oh, okay. Well, now we have you know 27 people. Well, now you have too many people for the room. And so it would happen so frequently that we started to realize that these meetings were just growing out of control. And wow. meetings is an issue that we've both been focused on for so long, but to answer your question, but focused, but not that we were going to help solve meetings, just that meetings were a pervasive reality and we'd been studying them. Mm -hmm. um, we realized, I, I never expected an inventor and a futurist to go into the uh, business of helping fix meetings, but it was never about meetings. Yeah. It's about training the workforce to think and act like entrepreneurs. That's, that's what Model Meetings does. So to answer your question, we didn't found Science House with the idea that we're going to help fix meetings. We saw the need and then we had to start reprioritizing our time and our energy to go in the direction of that need. And then there was an overlap mm -hmm. for a couple of years when we were codifying our meetings framework. We What are characteristics that you realize this is not a good fit? Potentially. I'll tell you one thing. When James and I first decided that I would be the EVP for business development at Science House, I had my own company for five years before yeah. Science House, and I said, I only work with people I genuinely like, mm -hmm. and I only work on problems that, if they're solved, the world is more in the direction that I want it. Mm -hmm. And we kind of joked around about, like, wow, that. We'll try it, but that doesn't sound like a great way to run a business. But it's worked out well that way, and we've been we've really been fortunate. We've had some really great clients who, who do amazing, amazing work um, that really does make the world a, a better place, and that's been really fulfilling. And our business is growing fast, and at this point, we, we, we do have the luxury. I think that, for me, I... I if, if someone's ego does not allow them any room to reflect on the possibility that they should consider evolving the way they do things, because we get hired at the C-suite level. So that dictates the, I mean, sure, grassroots movement, there's organic development in cultures that bubbles up. I'm not, but we're hired to come in at that level and then help an enterprise grow and change. Mm -hmm. If a senior leader is too rigid or has too much hubris, or thinks they're doing everything. But that's the reality of business today, is that you are you have to do more with less. That's just the way the world works now. Yep. And that means 
everybody has to evolve. And no matter how good you are at what you do, there's another level above that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the reasons it's become, you know, a very, you know, the, the competitive environment has gotten much more ruth ruthless in that respect because of that. It's, mm -hmm. it's you, you just can't. The challenge what you're speaking of, uh, and it doesn't seem like you've had to encounter that too often where, where there's maybe a little bit of rigidity at the top, Whose job is it between the two of you to kind of try and unwrap them a little bit and help them consider the benefit? I mean, I think we, we split that world pretty well. I think I do a lot of the, from the data and analytics side, I'm going to look at this and say, you know, if they're pushing back on some meeting changes that we want to make, for example, um, from a data perspective, showing them that, look, there are significant savings that we can have here. We can not only save the company money, but the people will actually be happier and more fulfilled as a result. So it's sort of win-win, but gathering that up and then really it's Rita's magic, you know, that, that it working with people and um, just kind of instantly becoming a, a trusted advisor. It's really, it's really amazing how she does that and, and she can take that. I really, of all the work that I do, the, the most enjoyment that I get is the one-on-one -on -one advising to senior leaders because they have a lot of responsibility and they're human. And the position that they're in, they're often viewed as the figurehead, the untouchable figurehead. It brings together all of my skills, right? I was an investigative journalist and I do, uh, you know, I'm an ethnographer, I study culture. Um, going back to the, it goes back to what you asked about technology and humanity. So I think the, the glue that binds, you know, our, my philosophy is we're in the imagination age, which comes after the information age. We have all this information. Now, how do we apply imagination to it, right? Um, we're a science house. We believe we're evolving artificial intelligence and other automation. So mm -hmm. we see senior leaders at this apex of the golden window of humanity and this future that they're helping to usher in. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of ethical issues, right? So that's another dimension that I like to bring to it. But when I'm advising senior leaders, I really like to cut to the heart of the issue and in any context, that is what matters to them as human beings. Yeah. Something makes them feel like they either like to get out of bed in the morning and do this thing or they dread and resent it. I need to understand what do they love and what do they dread and resent and then get right to the heart of it. In any situation they're in, they're going to have these conflicting, whether it's over technology that mm -hmm. they're bringing in, whether it's over workforce, uh, you know, cutbacks. I mean, there are so many, the role they play in the world, there are so many things that they find themselves at the heart of. So yeah. to me, what I like to do is cut through the noise, mm -hmm. create a safe uh, environment where we can focus on what matters. And always I start with, what do you want and what do you not want? And then, and then what do you have to do and how do we balance these two mm -hmm. opposing yeah. factors against what you know you have to do? Mm -hmm. Because very often the mitigating, the stumbling block is that they are resistant yeah. or that they want something. Or So I have a knack and I've been very fortunate because I've worked with a lot of great CEOs and CIOs in my career and other leaders of different organizations around the world. And you can cut through a lot of the cultural issues. They are mostly constructs. Yeah and get to the human at the heart of it. And that's where I like to be. I, yeah. I, uh, that's where I really love yeah. to be. I don't have expectations. I know that sounds very weird when I say that, um, mm -hmm. but I think the pitfall for a lot of people is they expect 
expect a certain outcome or... From in, you or generally? In general in mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. So We had Science House and one day it was, you know, Thursday and I said, you know, why don't we just, let's declare this weekend creative weekend. We're going to say no to like the brunch requests. Um, we have no television at Science House, oh, wow. no distractions. So let's just take the weekend. We'll call it creative weekend and we'll do something whatever. And, 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 you know, to your point, it doesn't have to be about this one thing. It could be something that we approach, something we've never, you know, read articles about something we've, we've never thought about before. Um, but just take the time to be creative and spend some time, you know, breathing and thinking and, and getting into something. And the funny thing was that we, we did that and we had creative weekend. And then the next weekend, it was like, well, yeah, let's, let's creative weekend again. Every, so now that was years ago, Every weekend at Science House is now Creative Weekend, and it's it's a subtle change. We we just named it Creative Weekend, but that gets your mindset on a Friday being like, well, what are we going to explore, and where are we? But I'm very interested in people who are not afraid to explore yes. and to go where their energy takes them. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. very much akin to Dory Clark in that way. Just but there's also so much behind that, like what do you choose to go into? One of the things that we love to explore is boring stuff. Yep. Sounds kind of crazy to say I'm, I'm going to spend my time on the weekend exploring something very boring, but... I think that's what a nerd is. Often, <laughs> maybe... <laughs> that's true. That's perhaps true. We wouldn't have things like medicine or refrigeration without the people who were. I mean, that is at the core. You know, there are a lot of things that people will avoid because they are, there's a perception of it's boring or it's dull. And meetings being one of them. But when you start to dig in, you discover that there is these fascinating cultural drivers. And there's fascinating, there's, there's the invisible aspects. And, you know, we say at Science House, one of the things we like to work on is making the invisible visible. And when you look at a meeting and I see... 18 people out there in a meeting. What's really happening? Well, there's the people talking and there's your agenda and stuff you can kind of get your head wrapped around. But there's so much more happening behind the scenes that is very invisible and that we try to make visible. Just the dynamics like, um, why is it so much harder to manage a meeting with 18 people than five people? And how does it, how do the dynamics change and how does the information flows change and your ability to get stuff done in those meetings? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of invisible things. And once you can make them visible, you can start to manage them. Most people, I mean, on average, people watch four hours of television a day. If you took one hour out of that, dedicated one hour a day to doing something, you would be a master of that so fast. But like, what is creativity? Simply just one hour a day, within months, like pick any topic, you will be incredibly advanced at that. And it's, it doesn't take a PhD in something to really get to a level where you're discovering stuff and finding interesting things. Um, anybody can take, that, take the time is. and dedicate. It's, yeah. it's the ability to take things and pair them up in novel and non-obvious ways. It's something I've learned from James as an inventor, novel and non-obvious. So to say that someone is jack of all trades, master of none, I bet you that person is very creative because yes. they can pull from that stockpile of stuff they've learned. They don't need to have, you know, PhD in astrophysics to, to tell you a little bit about. If someone is not into medicine, but they like it and they're curious about it and they decide to read and they happen to be in marketing or something along those lines. For you both, what would you 
do to, or what would your advice be to encourage people to gravitate towards that and maybe take it more seriously or to it's just I've had a few sharp changes in my career, mm -hmm. right? So if you look back at my career, it seems unrelated, right? I was an investigative journalist. Mm -hmm. I'm a futurist. I work with leadership teams. We work on meetings, all these different things. Mm -hmm. I have a jewelry company, mm -hmm. okay? I'm a writer, but they're all connected by one golden thread, which is my own curiosity. Mm -hmm. uh, so every thing that someone wants to study, I think what happens is this, it goes back to expectations. Mm -hmm. I'm a marketing person, let's say, mm -hmm. to use your example, mm -hmm. and I'm interested in medicine, but I can't envision a reality where I actually know anything about medicine, mm -hmm. right? So um, one time, when I was an investigative journalist, I covered the nuclear industry. Mm -hmm. I did not know any Thing mm -hmm. about the nuclear industry the day I started. In fact, I was completely overwhelmed. <laughs> so, I, But you have to start somewhere, yes. and this is how I look at the journey. Every step toward the thing you're trying to understand, whether it's medicine or the nuclear industry or jewelry design or inventing or you know whatever the case, videography, right? It, it, every step, is, it's like a video game where mm -hmm. you're suddenly going to level up. You wander into a room that is filled with treasure at some mm -hmm. point, and you would never have found the door to that room if you didn't start the journey. And so I think people get stopped by being overwhelmed by the enormity of everything they don't know yes. instead of just starting. I believe people get paralyzed by imagining all the potential outcomes of yes. what can go right or what can go wrong. Um, did you have well, I, I would add one thing to the concept of just a career. And I would say that's becoming a much more fluid sort of thing. And actually just looking at yourself and saying, I have this career, I'm a marketing person, uh, is changing. Yeah. Um, I mean, not for everyone, but like the way that we, t we would think about it is, okay, you're doing marketing, but what are you doing? What's your side hustle? What are you doing? What are you learning about on the side? What does that have to do with marketing? Is it closely related, not closely related? Um, because as you start to do other things outside of traditional marketing, you'll start to look at yourself not so much as a marketing person, but I'm a person and I've got marketing skills and these skills and these skills and that my career could flip in a day. Yes. And, and that happens more. And we see a lot of that in big companies where people are, I'm a developer, I'm you know, an accountant. And when you start to just think of yourself as an accountant, you're automatically putting up some kind of barriers to say, I'm, if it's outside of that world, I don't really want to think about it. I don't, I don't want to get into it. And so we'd like to encourage people to say, think about yourself much more flexibly. And, and in that respect, maybe you get into something and let yourself go with it. Like, take an hour or half an hour a day and try something with no expectations. It's not necessarily going to make you rich or, or life fulfilling or whatever, but you know, it's a science test. We say experiment, try it out for a week, see how it goes. And I think a lot of people go into it saying like, well, but I might, you know, might waste my time or it might not be helpful or whatever. And stop doing it. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. But just try it out. And I think when people do that, I think they end up thinking of themselves very differently from a, a career perspective to just say, I yes. Go in a flow state. Find something that puts you in a flow state and do that thing because time stops. Do you want to be measuring your life by linear little steps and milestones that are mostly illusions? Or do you want to put your, nobody asked to get born, but we're all here. 
find something that puts you in a flow state, whether it's creating art or studying science or walking or being with a kid, I don't care. Find something that puts you in a flow state and get yourself there as often as you can. And the world would improve dramatically the more people who have yeah. the luxury of being able to do that. And it's our, I believe it's an obligation to help more people have the time and the capacity and the space in their lives to have that luxury because it is a luxury. Okay, hopefully you loved that as much as I loved experiencing it. Uh, James and Rita were phenomenal. I mean, that's what it's like when you're around brilliant people doing amazing things with top-level executives across the world. So if you really enjoyed it, please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'd appreciate it so deeply. And thank you. Thank you for listening more than anything. If you want to reach out to me, feel free to at rich at richcardonamedia.com. And I'll also always be on LinkedIn, checking people out, trying to connect. See you there.